listening to Nerds on Film with Roxy Noberry, Sean Moriarty, Gina Giovanetti, and Brian Moriarty. <laughs> Fry Livin! <laughs> oh my god. Oh boy. Somewhere. So we're in the later half episode, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> A, a listener should know at this point we we record them two at a time usually usually a couple times we do we do them singular <laughs> really but we've already had a bottle of wine and it's lots wonderful. of chips and guac we killed the sweet guac and the savory oh, guac so yes. good and we've proceeded to kill our childhoods <laughs> um so individually <laughs> hello everyone so roxy we're so glad that you're back obviously thanks and brian you're welcome and um i I really want to know, mm. like, wh- how are you? What have you been up to? <laughs> right? Tobias Funke, how are you? Um, no, I really, no, I honestly, oh, I really I want to know. you, Brian. Like, w- for our listeners, too, how are you? How what are you? What have you been up to? Mm. What have you been, what have you seen? What have you been watching? Oh, my goodness. Okay, what yeah, I know. What have you been wearing? What have I been wearing? <laughs> mm, you want to smell I, me? She's been wearing everything. Mm. And nothing <laughs> it is a so. schrodinger's ensemble if you will roxy <laughs> so hot right now i'm i'm schrodinger's girlfriend she's no. trying what we call a quantum wardrobe where it's everything <laughs> like until you until she comes out of her apartment or her house i should say she could be wearing everything or she could be wearing nothing this you is true <laughs> no but i like the concept of schrodinger's boyfriend it's a good excuse to give to my family members who keep asking me why i'm still single <laughs> Look, I have a boyfriend. He's Schrodinger's boyfriend. He both exists and doesn't exist at the same time. That's, that's a wonderful reasoning. Great state of Schrodinger's being. boyfriend. I love yes. it. Yeah. I love it. Bring him this way because it's not happening otherwise. Um, <laughs> no, I'm 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 okay. You know, I know. I appreciate you guys holding down the perennial fort for me in my absence. I know I'm not necessarily one to. Like, demand that of you all as you've all let me into the Nerdonomy family in recent years. Um, But I definitely consider you guys just that, that you all are my family. And for me to be apart from you all was just really hard, but really necessary, too. Because as with family, you know, you're still connected no matter what. And Mm -hmm. I have always felt that way about about Nerdonomy. So for me to be back on the show is, is, you know taken a lot of thinking and a lot of like reconsidering and just kind of evaluating in terms of like where like this show has been in my life a, a really positive thing um considering that a lot of negativity has kind of come my way as of late um just in the nature of of my business and, and my life and and what I've been dealing with. You know, I've, I've done a lot of adulting these last six months. Yeah, it's hard. A yeah. lot of difficult adulting. And I'd like to say I've done it basically by myself. Um, yeah. Really, really on my own. Um, but I, I've done it with a lot of support, too. Um, you know, I've done it with the support of a lot of really beautiful people in my life, you know, people that are sitting in this very room and also creatures that are it's, sitting it's in this Gina. very room. It's just, it's Gina. Brian, just say it's Gina. you know that my hand extends to you across the table as well. It is. Sir. And it's actually making me it a little here. uncomfortable because you thought you're touching my knee and you're not. Um, <laughs> that's my dog. Yeah, that's my dog. No, but I, I'm mentioning Scotty is particularly my, my dog, um, my adopted um, Chihuahua Terrier mix that I brought into my life last September and my life has forever been better because of him. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I'm not kidding when I say people like, you know, get a lot of emotional support from their animals and treat him as such because he truly, truly has provided me a lot of support through a lot of difficult issues that I've sure. faced. And he's just been truly unconditional about it. Except yeah. for right now because he's fucking God knows where. Oh, he's always sleeping. Okay, yeah. he's fine. Um, yeah. But I, I'm really glad to bring him wherever I can because he's just amazing. So Scotty's been a great help. But yeah, no, I, I you know, I know we have a lot of listeners on our show that um, reach out to us from time to time, kind of showing us their their more personal sides and sort of thanking us for supporting them through some issues um, because I feel that way about this show because um, yeah, I've of, been dealing with yeah. some emotional issues myself as of late. So it's just been like, yeah. you know, it, such is life and it happens yeah. to the best of us. Speaking of which, yeah. I made a, mis- a horrible mistake the last Two episodes ago, when oh. I mentioned that our listener gave us a handwritten Christmas card oh. that I didn't get until May because I was, or April, because I <sighs> didn't check, because I didn't know it was coming. Moriarty! Well, no. she, also, she also admitted that she apologized that she didn't what? let us know it was coming. Oh, so I said Jill. It, it was actually, it was Hillary. Oh, Hillary. Hillary. Thank it? you. And she was kind of going through the same thing. Like, she was talking about mm. how... She had, was having a really hard time getting in the Christmas spirit this mm. year, but she thought of us and, Aww. you know, and I'm, I'm drastically paraphrasing because she not only hand wrote the whole card, she included a double-sided Aww. binder paper handwritten note with it. Wow. She has very pretty handwriting, by the way. Curl, nice. up, curl up with us and a bottle of wine, Hillary, <laughs> and it'll be a lovely holiday. Yeah. Join Athena in those shenanigans and you'll yeah. have your own... Little Nerdonomy fan fest. You know, I don't want to. I don't want to like get super geeky here, but there is that when we talk about Joseph Campbell and like the hero's journey, there is that <laughs> nerd, nerd. <laughs> there is, but there is, <laughs> there is the portion of the story where the hero has to go through a rebirth, yeah. right? And I think maybe that's why we. I don't know. Our age resonates so much with, or rather, nostalgic properties resonate so much with us in our late 20s Mm. but or beyond um but you know i think we all go through a kind of rebirth in your late 20s early 30s you know yeah Yeah. and it's a it's can be a very tough journey for some people it can Mm -hmm. no i absolutely agree with that sentiment because God knows, like, I I've become a different person because of it, because I've had to kind of level up into this level of maturity that I haven't necessarily dealt with before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be a very isolating and scary path to tread. Um, but I'd like to think that all of the work that I've done prior to this point has given me a really strong foundation. Um, so I'm able to bounce back a lot quicker and yeah. a lot um, more... Uh, just solid in in my sense of self and what I want. And and that doesn't mean that I'm not still struggling. I'm definitely still struggling and still recovering um, from a lot of the the difficulty and stressors. And I'm still dealing with a lot of stressors. Yeah. But Um, you know what? But it is what it is, you know? Yeah, I know what it is. And I kept thinking, as as you were saying that, there's this whole idea that I think our parents' generation and maybe even some of our grandparents' generation look at our generation as, I mean, is it me or does it feel like they think our generation is just a bunch of whiners? I mean... Oh, I mean, a little bit. Compared I think, to what they had, probably. Yeah, compared to what they had, but it's also one of those things where, like, they don't understand where we were. We were a generation that was kind of bred up on this idea of, 
you can be anything you want. The world is at your fingers. But then as you grow up, and especially in the Bay Area, when you realize, like, it's almost damn near impossible to make Mm -hmm. a living wage and you know you grow up and you struggle with things like anxiety and depression and things like that you Mm -hmm. realize it's much harder to obtain that world that you know milk and land of milk and honey that your parents kind of promised and And, so and our parents grew up with the notion that you suppressed all of those emotions you weren't weren't explicit (laughs) about your anxiety and depression in the way that we are yeah and i think that's the nail i was actually trying to hit is that you know they call us whiners but actually no I think our generation is more willing to acknowledge the emotions that we all felt, but we're too scared to. Yeah, our generation is the most emotionally intelligent generation that you could probably think of, because from the get go, we are forced into this sort of martyrdom of having to make up for a lot of the mistakes that our previous generations have not copped to until now because we're faced with the consequences of a lot of their choices that they probably weren't very consciously making because Mm -hmm. of their generation's example. And I'm sure many, many of us have had the experience of being at some sort of large family event and someone bringing up something. And I, if you are in the position to, I do encourage you to, to stand up for what you believe in this past. Yeah. yeah, Like if, if you're in the position to, I understand that there are, are toxic environments that, that can make that very hard. But Mm. like from a personal experience, I was at a, a large family dinner. It may have been like Christmas or Easter or something. And one of my uncle's after a couple of glasses of wine, decided to bring up, you know, people who are coming forward about being sexually abused or sexually harassed in Hollywood and how it's been so many years. And it's like, oh, well, you know, some of them have to be lying. Why would you cut? Why would you wait so long to come forward? And I like had dishes in my hand because I was in the middle of clearing the table. And like, there are like, I have young, impressionable, I say young and impressionable, but they're in, you know, middle school, high school. But I like, leaned into my uncle and basically stared him down and was like, those are women who were too afraid to come forward before. Pick a different conversation topic now. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I basically pulled a like stand down on my uncle. That's like three times. It's important to name it. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's, it, there is something very satisfying Mm. about shooting down your, the previous generation. And it's so much so that I want to (laughs) like, I want to (laughs) like, I want to quote Ferris Bueller and say, it is so choice. If you have the means, I do suggest you shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Brian. It's it's also very important to show, especially if you have impressionable young people around Mm -hmm. you. I don't want to specifically say young women because young men and, you know, young non-gender binary Mm -hmm. individuals are also very impressionable as well. And like what made me so proud was like my cousins who were in high school like they heard me say that to my uncle and then as I'm like clearing the table I hear them talking about like feminism and stuff and I'm just like I'm winning I'm winning <laughs> Keeping it well, that, and also like I mean yes but I also think about our tie to nostalgia mm-hmm. you know I feel like our generation has the biggest uh permission yeah. Maybe it's where we've given ourselves the most mm-hmm. permission to remain in touch with our childhoods. Surely, yeah. surely. You know? uh, and maybe it comes from that whole Judeo-Christian notion of, well, uh, there's a time to put away childish things. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's also a time to recognize there's a certain universality to the things you liked as a child. Yeah. Right. That, that don't or, go away. Or the things you liked in the last six months. 
Indeed. <laughs> Which brings me to uh, wanting to do a tiny little version of a roundup and what I've seen in the last six months. Ooh. If you guys are open to hearing what sure. I've explored. Please. Thank you. Okay, cool. Um, but Brian, I don't want to cut you off necessarily. You just there. can't call it roundup because we'll get sued by Monsanto. Oh, shit. So. We will. Okay. So. Well, no kidding. All right. Okay. What I have basically been filling my time with in between sort of getting my shit back together um, is a lot, a lot, a lot of Netflix. And okay. when I say Netflix, I really mean true crime documentaries. Hey. <laughs> oh, my God. This is the reason why I will never, ever cheat or ever piss off Vanessa. She won't because, keep receipts. <laughs> because she watches true crime episodes as well. And if I do... You will never hear from me again. Oh my god! Have you guys? Have I ever talked about the keepers? Please tell me I've talked about. You the have. Keepers. You Thank have you. Okay. You have. All right. Yes. So next to the keepers, what I would say is one of the best true crime documentaries I've seen in recent months is probably this uh, series called Evil Genius. Um, and it just came out like maybe two or three weeks ago. It's basically, I think it's a four-parter um, documentary about this woman named Marjorie Deal Armstrong, who basically pulled off one of the most heinous and downright evil bank heists in American history. Okay, do you want to run us through the summary of what she did? So essentially, it starts out as this story about who this person was, right? Marjorie. And um, how she grew up in this generation of um, she grew up in the you know fifties, right? So she, the the crime itself, I believe, was committed um, in the late two uh, thousand or early two thousands, late nineties. Um, and what it had to do with was her manipulating the men around her to mm. um, become complicit in this series of crimes, namely one of the big ones that happened was that uh, this pizza delivery guy got caught up in this sort of uh, treasure hunt for this, uh, I don't know what he was looking for, but at some point in time, he ends up getting a bomb strapped to him. And he, uh, he shows up to a bank, right? And they get him there at the bank. The police find him and he's got the bomb strapped to him. And not only is the bomb strapped to him, it's strapped to his neck. So he has this like neck, like clamp um, tightly wrapped on him. And unfortunately, what ends up happening um, is that he, the bomb goes off. And that moment in history is known as probably the first time in history that the FBI was unable to prevent a bomb from exploding um, on a live sort of uh, criminal in, in that sense. Because the man basically robs the bank, robs the bank, and that's what alerts the authorities. Um, they apprehend him in the parking lot, and he's sitting there. And they have him sitting there, right? And there's live footage of this. So you actually watch the footage in the documentary. Ugh. And it's super gruesome and super disturbing. Um, but holy shit, it's compelling. Because you see the man basically begging for his life and saying, there's a bomb on me. It's about to go off. It's about to go off. It's about to go off. Get this off me. Get this off me. Get this off me. Three, two, one. Boom. And that's how the documentary fucking starts. And basically, they're retracing their steps, trying to figure out how all this was connected to Marjorie Deal Armstrong. And sure enough, there's all this intrigue about how she manipulated these people in her circle to orchestrate this bank heist and orchestrate a lot of different crime, too. Like, she maintains her innocence. Um, she's actually currently incarcerated. And uh, it's just a really 
intriguing tale of manipulation, of relationships gone wrong, of innocent people dying, because this man was essentially murdered. You know? Yeah, I mean, he was. Um, he had no... Th- that's the thing. They don't know how he was connected to Marjorie. They don't know if he was innocent and he he was like basically essentially kidnapped by Marjorie's, you know, uh, which makes it crew. even worse, even yeah. more brutal. Or if he was a co-conspirator. Oh, okay. So there's a lot of unknown about it. But it's still a murder, though. It's like, yeah. still a murder. It's still horrific. It's oh extremely God. horrific, and it's so compelling because I'm all about exploring psychopathy, right? That's also why right now I'm watching um, American Crime Story season two. Which is uh, covering the assassination of Gianni Versace. Oh, I just watched that. Yeah, so I haven't finished it. I'm just about to watch the season finale. Um, it's beautifully shot. Holy shit. Darren Chris as Andrew Cunanan. Oh, Some very of good. The best performance I've ever seen of a serial killer psychopath. Holy shit, he dives into his, his history and his childhood and his mental state. I mean, so compelling. Ryan Murphy, god damn it, such a good fucking TV maker, if that's a thing. Such a good showrunner. Um, <laughs> TV maker. Producer. <laughs> Candlestick maker. Yeah, no, uh, producer, showrunner, creator. Great, great, great compelling television. Tube um, wizard. Yeah, exactly. Two wizards. <laughs> Seriously. So besides that, um, I've also watched Godless, the miniseries. Is that the one that's like all like? I think this is the one that I was trying yeah. to think of the name of, and I googled like the feminist uh, western. I, I googled a uh, show with all lady yeah. cowboys. All lady cowboys, Jaeger. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, no, I mean it's it's all lady cowboys and then some because there's Ooh. a huge like uh, basically uh, tragedy that happens in the town that sort of you know results in this Sorry. scenario they're in um i thought it was really well crafted there's some controversy about the film or about the film the series um but all in all i'd say it was a really well crafted western um and then i've also watched okay you guys please watch this movie it's called the dressmaker it starts kate winslet um mm-hmm. and liam hemsworth and judy uh, davis uh australian film at some of its best Okay, so you know we had that film, uh, that episode about Australian um, new wave movies that we mm-hmm. did a while back with like Mad Max and all that. Mm-hmm. This movie definitely is a throwback to Australian new wave films because it's like filmed in the fucking outback. Oh, <laughs> nice. It's so fucking Aww. well done. Nice. It's based off a novel um, of the same name and it's basically about uh, a dressmaker from uh, the, the, sort of the 60s era. She comes back home to this town in the outback and she's this whole time established a career as a famous dressmaker in London. And so she comes back to town basically as a, um, a femme fatale of sorts. And she comes back home to town because there's all this, uh, this shit that happened as a, as a child um, that's been unresolved. And I won't give too much away, but I will say the chemistry, the performances, the writing, the comedy. This movie has everything. It also has Guy Pierce. Mm. You know, Agent Anderson um, in a really great role as the town uh, sheriff. No, not sheriff, but rather. Wait, police. Guy Pierce or, or um, no, Guy Pierce. Hugo Weaving? Because Hugo Weaving is Agent Smith, is what you're. Oh shit! No, it is High Hugo Weaving. Fuck! No, you're right. It's not Guy oh. Pierce because Guy Pierce was uh, Priscilla in the desert. So was Hugo mm. Weaving. Shit! No, you're right too. God and damn Terrence it! Stamp. They were bo- they were all oh, in that. Oh, I mixed it up. Brian, God bless you. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Oh, you're wonderful. No, you're right. It is Hugo Weaving. Oh, I'm so sorry. 
uh, forgive me for i have sinned um <laughs> i should get my nerd car revoked for nah, just that no hugo weaving this. as the police chief of the town and Ooh. he's hilarious and wonderful and it's a total throwback to priscilla that's why i got the mixed up because i was thinking of priscilla which is kind of well done um obviously one of the best australian films ever made but uh so they sort of have a throwback in, in this movie about it check out the dressmaker it's on amazon prime um and then really really quickly finished Peaky Binders. I'm falling asleep very fast to second season of Westworld. Mm. <laughs> Every episode so far I've like dozed off at. I'm guess I get really confused really fast. And I have to rewatch the episodes a few times to get it. I don't know if you guys have been watching Westworld. I haven't seen no. a single episode of Westworld. Michael Crichton sure seemed to have made Shit. a career out of theme parks that went awry though. They went awry. They're actually saying that Westworld was actually kind of like a prequel to Jurassic Park. Well, Michael Crichton Or is was it the in, other way around? That's it. Michael Crichton was involved in the original movie. It must have been Jurassic and Park so, was a prequel. Well, to I know. Westworld. I mean, that's it. Like I Something think the, like I think the the thing is the movie, the original movie Westworld came before Jurassic Park, but Michael oh. Crichton was actively involved in both of them. Go, go figure. So. I mean, they're totally connected. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Westworld season two, dude, it's throwing me for a fucking loop. I swear to God. I, I really have no idea, God. but I love it. Westworld um, and then Jurassic World. Oh, no. I know, right? Yeah, that's, two stand-up things thing. that I've watched yeah. are Ali Wong's uh, Baby Cobra. Um, she she's hilarious. And too? then her new one. What's her new one called? Something about a wife, right? Yeah. That's isn't it like trophy wife or something? Something like that. Shit. Anyway, Ali Wong's new stand-up special is a good follow-up to Baby Cobra. So watch Baby Cobra and then watch her new one and you'll just die laughing. Mm-hmm. And then John Mulaney's follow-up to New Kid in Town is uh, Kid Gorgeous at Radio City. And so his new stand-up is amazing. I would say Ali Wong and John Mulaney are two of the hottest comedians on Netflix right now and just probably comedians in the game because they're just amazing and they're just on top of their shit. Yeah, sure. Hard Knock so. Wife Thank is Ali you. Wong's new one. Hard Knock Wife. Oh, my God. Isn't she, is she pregnant in both of those she specials? She is. God, what a champ. She is a yeah, rock Yeah, one was star. with her first child and the second was with her second child. I, oh I, I figured, but... Oh, and then Natasha Legero Le, Legero and Moshe Kasher's uh, joint stand-up series. It was really funny. They did three. They did a three-part special. The first part was Natasha. The second part was Moshe, and then the third part was them together. That's I've never fine. seen a couple do a joint stand-up comedy set, like just uh, to show, and it was so well done. Holy shit, that just came out. It's, it's the um, honeymoon special. Oh, okay, just no, right on. Yeah, so check out those comedians if you want to. That's kind of my Netflix roundup, but and Amazon Prime kind of sorta. Um, but yeah, no, that's yeah. pretty much what I've seen. What has anybody else seen? I watched the DuckTales reboot. <gasps> that was super fun. Is that the one where the guy from Panic at the Disco does the theme song? No, the theme song was Lin-Manuel Miranda, who did oh. Hamilton. Oh, shit, that's even um, better. And then he's also supposed to come in, I believe, as a gizmo duck <laughs> fairly soon as well. Yeah, no, um, Panic fabulous. at the Disco just did it as a stunt on uh, Jimmy Fallon. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, Brendan Urie. The, the animation style is a little bit different, but I really enjoyed it. I, basic, mm. I went up to go spend a weekend uh, a couple weeks ago with my boyfriend and we just wanted a like stay at home kind of nothing too fussy too fancy weekend. you guys wanted to netflix and chill yeah just except actually watch tv and just 
lay there. Um, <laughs> That's the other way to do you it. You know, I'm just like, br- bring me snacks and mix me a drink, hun. We're going to watch <laughs> cartoons. Um, but, uh, no, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, I think David Tennant makes a really fun Scrooge McDuck. Nice! Um, the way that they do Glomgold is a lot of fun as well, <laughs> in that, like, oh, Scrooge is a Scottish millionaire or a <laughs> Scottish billionaire. I'm just going to be more Scottish and try to be more rich. Um, <laughs> Huey, Dewey, and Louie are a lot of fun. They kind of give them all their own distinct personalities. That's cute. Um, and then they also make Webby a bigger character mm-hmm. as well. You know, in the in the original, it was a lot of Scrooge and the boys, but mm. this one, they they very much do bring Webby in as a big character, and she's voiced by Katie Micucci yeah. very oh, perfectly yeah. and well done. Nice, and it's so much fun. And there's like there's like little nods to things that like you can tell the reboot was made for adults that are our age who grew up with the original Aww. and other nostalgia of that era that are potentially like now having kids and want to share this with their kids along with other things because there is a scene in one of the episodes that is a direct allusion to uh, the Warriors movie nice. um, where there is a, a character who's one of the like Beagle Boy gangs who is clacking <laughs> the, the glass bottles on his fingers and it's very much like the whole episode is very much an allusion to the warriors. Can you um, dig it? I know the very like warriors come out to play. Mm-hmm. Um, that one that was a lot of fun. Um, Wait, how can you catch it? So, I mean, uh, oh, how can you watch the mm-hmm. show? Um, we found it online. I nice. think uh, I think you can get it through Hulu or Amazon. Good shit. Um, and up. then I believe season two recently started. Mm-hmm. I have not seen any of season two yet, but it's a lot of fun. Ducktales. Ooh. <laughs> it's super fun. That's great, dude. Yeah. I'm glad. Awesome. You know, it's funny. You were bringing that up, and I kept thinking about its cousin, or its sister show, Darkwing Duck. Darkwing Duck. <gasps> and what I loved is, so here's a funny thing. So being a nerd, <laughs> uh, somehow, you know me, I'm just going to tie this to Batman. So, ba- <laughs> so Batman debuted in Detective Comics number 27, which begs the question, well, what were the Detective Comics numbers 1 through 26 like? And uh, actually... All Alfred. No, it wasn't, it wasn't all Alfred. <laughs> there was actually some quite offensive stuff, but there was actually a masked character <laughs> who debuted before Batman did, about 10 issues before Batman did, number 16. No shit. And his name... That's crazy. ...is the Crimson Avenger. And his costume is a black mask, a giant red fedora... A long cape, and his primary weapon is a gas gun. Oh my god! Oh, Basically, wow. he's human Darkwing Duck. Wow, and then fun. I started thinking, wait a second, hold on. Where have I heard the name before? Name before? And I realized that the same people who made Ducktales and Rescue Rangers and all these also made Gummy Bears. What? And Gummy Bears had a character had a the young Gummy Bear, the one who had the paper, the wooden sword. Yeah. Uh, had a character he would dress up named. The Crimson Avenger. Oh, that's oh adorable! God. And he was, and he was a basically a musketeer version of that same character wow. without the gas gun. So I'm like, wait a second, no, no, no. The guys who write this stuff are must be like old school comic book nerds because they they're referencing that <laughs> oh, character. Obviously. Crazy, right? Super, oh, super crazy. Wow. Um, I'm sorry, but the Crimson Avenger just makes me think of like a code name for Menzies or something. 
I yeah. mean, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> like my... if you were to do Crimson Avenger nowadays, it would be a woman. Like, and... I, I'm dealing with my I Crimson would, Avenger Oh my god, right I would love to read that comic where it's just, like, taking back the stigma of menstruation <laughs> with the Crimson Avenger. Well, here's the funny thing. So I forgot to mention, the reason why they call him that is so that the gas gun would let out this giant crimson gas. And oh. so when he was, that's how he'd make his entrance in his and his exits. Is that supposed to be like an allegory for like a queef? Just like ripped <laughs> a fart? <laughs> oh, you brought it there. I, t- it there. I will bring it there. Bodily functions and all, man. Uh, oh my God. That sounds like a horror movie. Crimson queef. <sighs> oh God. Have you seen teeth? Ah, true, true, no, true. I don't want to. And you know how many horror movies? For the record, I'm not making. For the record, I'm not making fun of women's reproductive cycle. No, but like, but <laughs> don't worry, we'll do th- enough of that for you. Like <laughs> Gina and I got that arena. Yeah, covered. but when you do it, it's funny. If I do it, I'm a sexist. So <laughs> that's the thing. Oh, Brian, we'll call you out for it just in time. Don't worry, <laughs> like you always do. Oh yeah, uh, and, wouldn't you know, be our nerdonomy show yeah. without you. <laughs> and 28 minutes minutes in on that note, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Nerds on. <laughs> film i'm brian moriarty i'm roxy noberry and i'm gina giovanetti so go ahead sorry i interrupted you um so you know we were talking i love how you brought ducktales and you know you were probably asked wait a second i just sarahed myself what 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 have i seen (laughs) brian yes what have you seen yeah what have i seen well mostly new shit so uh i saw obviously infinity war because we did the the episode on that and then this last week uh, Vanessa and I just caught up. We took advantage of uh, Discount Tuesday or Early Bird Movies, and we saw both Deadpool 2 and we saw Solo. Nice. So we saw Solo this morning. How was it? Uh, Solo was fantastic. Really? And I was skeptical because, okay. you know, you have two very different voices with the Lords and... I'm uh, sorry, Christopher Miller and Philip Lord, and then uh, Ron, Ron Howard taking over. You're Opie. like... And the uh, Christopher Miller and... Christopher... Uh, and Philip Lord, or is it by, whatever it is. Uh, however, I might be getting the names mixed up, um, but they still got credit for either story or for writing yeah. the script. Actually, no, they didn't get credit for script. Lawrence Cosden and Jonathan Cosden got credit for the script, but they got credit for story still. Mm. And there are shots that are very much, you can tell, were in that improvisory, like their style of humor uh, that still made it into the film. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it felt like Ron, Ron Howard's movie. Like it mm. felt not like a prequel it felt like a movie that exists in the star wars universe and i think for a story that tells and talks about han solo prior to meeting luke skywalker Mm. that's exactly what it should be it has almost and this is a minor spoiler because i don't want to give anything away but i will say that this it has very little if anything to do with the main saga Hmm. the empire is present but they do not factor into the main plot so they basically did like extended universe almost it is extended. and in fact the friends of mine who have seen it who are into the the legends eu the pre-disney expanded universe have mentioned that it's very clear that those writers pulled from the han solo trilogy it's about damn time when That's they did I'm that say um, but i will say hmm. and this is the one spoiler ish thing i will say <gasps> a prequels character does make a, a cameo in the movie great i'm excited that and sounds awesome and I, for one, am glad what they did with the Gungans. So, oh. <laughs> Gungan style. <laughs> oh God, that was um, a horrible joke. I am so sorry. That was just. Uh, I. I. I should be slain for that. Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to be back but on you the know, show. <laughs> that's okay. I'm gonna bring it home. So you know, we all grew up wa- loving Star Wars, and I think, you know, but we talked a lot about geeky shit. We, <laughs> 
<laughs> That's like our tagline. Yeah, it is. We talk a lot about geeky shit, but we we really do have other childhood loves. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this episode is devoted to. Obviously, Sean's not here because he had, he couldn't be here. He had to be away for the weekend. No, um, Sean. His niece's graduation. Not my niece, his wife's uh, niece. So by marriage. I was going to say, you have a niece? <laughs> yeah. No, he has a niece by marriage. Yeah. And, and a couple of nephews as well. Um, so we thought we would go through and each share a couple of our childhood favorite movies. Things that like when we think about it, what would we go back to? What would we what would we go into the movie shelf if we still had them and didn't have everything on Netflix? What would we like go and die yeah. for? What would we seriously break out and see if we still had our VCR so uh, that we could mm-hmm. pop into VHS yes. and watch on our new TVs and, and that, say, oh God, this quality is horrible. Yeah, because so, we wore out those VHSs exactly. due and to the, repeated and viewings. The screen is like one quarter of the oh, image. Oh, yeah. yeah. The no, screen is like the size of my phone. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. These VHS tapes are one rewind machine away from complete and utter destruction. Yeah, <laughs> like, they're about to go they're down. Just like, they're going to be like the end of Infinity War. They just like they go into <laughs> they, the ash. They don't feel so good mr stark oh god i will i will say those rewind machines were something dangerous was yours yeah. like shaped like a like a like a car like mine was I, I don't know i don't remember what mine liked i just know i had a really poor run-in with it once we just, we just <laughs> those are the days the rewind function on our, and disclaimer our folks we've talked a lot on this show about a lot of particular like mobro nostalgia show stuff <laughs> so we're not going to mention any batman related things no there's no batman there is no superhero there is no, there's no star wars so no. we should put that out there and we're only going to talk about our animated favorites so yes. if or animated or ones harsh, that might bridge yeah. Partially animated, animated but primarily animation is a mainstay in a lot of these films. Yes. That mm-hmm. keeps them in our mm-hmm. our sort of nostalgia spank banks. <laughs> so say we all. <laughs> so anyway, say we all. but to start us off, Gina, would you like to regale us with some of your favorites? I will. Um, I am lucky enough that I did find copies of two of my childhood favorites on really simple standard DVDs when my local blockbuster was going out of business. R.I.P. I was walking down the aisles with my mom and I found these two particular DVDs Mm. and I grabbed them faster than I would have grabbed anything else and clutched (laughs) them to my chest and like went up to the front and slammed them down and said how much do you want for these? Because I need them. Um, these so are... Sweet. And the guys are like, what, did you find, like, crack in them or something? <laughs> like, <laughs> Who left weed in these? <laughs> um, found a nug. <laughs> God damn it. Um, no, these are... These were DVD copies of VHSs that had since been gotten rid of um, at, like, a garage sale or something because I, at, you know... 17 years old had supposedly outgrown them um and you know who had a vcr at that point everybody was dvds it was so trendy i went out and bought a fucking vcr when i was like Mm -hmm. 25 though Um, i missed it these are two animated films that are so near and dear to my heart because Mm -hmm. these were part of the like kid-friendly vhs collection that my grandparents had at their house Mm -hmm. so the weekends where i would go with my mom and i would go to oma and opa's house um these are the two that i would wear out fairly uh often um there were other ones there too that i would watch as well but it was primarily these two and that's going to be uh once upon a forest and a 
iteration of Snow White called Happily Ever After. Oh, um, snap. Those two. So I'm going to start oh with God. Once Upon a Forest because oh. I think it kind of is very that uh, like late 80s, early 90s kind of early foray into environmentalism animation that you kind of see through things like Fern Gully or more recently stuff like Happy Feet or things that have a very not so thinly veiled like Avatar uh, Avatar um, you know kind of environmentalism message to it this focuses around uh, a group of small woodland creatures. They're Called the furlings. The furlings. Um, they they're the primary the primary group of three uh, are a mole, a hedgehog, and a Wood little mouse. mouse. Um, I'm trying to remember what the hedgehog's so, name was. Abigail was the wood mouse. Edgar was the mole. Russell is the hedgehog. Russell and Michelle the, is the badger. Yeah, Russell was the one I forgot. And they are, uh, they're friends with a, you know, small little badger girl named Michelle. Mm. And they take lessons from the, you know, older wise man of the little rodent city named Cornelius, who is Michelle's uh, uncle. Um, Cornelius is voiced, I didn't know this until much older in my adult life when I knew who this person was by Michael Crawford, who oh, is the yeah. very famously the Broadway Phantom of the Opera. So great. Um, so the, you get into the environmentalism when the whole plot of this film is a truck of like um, pesticide, noxious gas crash it. First of all, what you see is <laughs> this isn't actually how things happen, but uh, earlier in the film, you see someone litter. They throw a glass bottle out their window. I'll never forget that And the scene. bottle shatters, and there's a very jagged edge of this bottle. And then later, you see a truck with the Poison Skull and Crossbone logo on it. One of the tires hits this jagged edge, and the truck, like, flips over, and it careens out into the forest, and all of this gas seeps into the forest. Mm. And you get that very ominous um all the leaves and the flowers wilting um michelle had had a the little badgerling had had a flower put in her hair earlier Mm. in the film and you see the gas seep into her home and the flower shrivels and falls out of her hair see these are Um, all the moments that we like deeply remember yeah and these are and and so a lot of what it is is that um the the little furlings, the three that I mentioned before, and Uncle Cornelius um, are ones that have survived this gas overtake because they were like away on like a field trip or something. And they come back and they see that this horror has befallen their home. And now some of some of the characters are seen as either um, having fled because they thought this was dangerous, but it's later implied that some of them did pass away. And some of the mm. ones that fled thought they did so because they thought that the the, the children were gone or something like that. Um, and so in order to save Michelle, the little, the little badgerling who has gone basically into a coma, um, Cornelius sends the three children on a journey to find a particular flower that will heal Michelle. Not before singing his ballad. <laughs> wake up Michelle ballad that oh, we all God. cried well, to simultaneously. I was going to mention that, but we'll bring it up now. So there's a, 
there's a beautiful song that he he sings to his niece and you know where he's begging her to like wake up from her coma and like before oh before we oh god no it's happening like before we started recording roxy pulled it up in the most cruel like she did the most cruel thing and i was like openly weeping into the mic and i'm just like no i can't i can't you need to turn it off please Um, just oh god and it's it's so so heartbreaking and so rending and um you know the kids go on this amazing journey and you see things like different things that are about like deforestation so at one point the the kids are they they have to go through a field where there are several like tractors and like bucket lifts and things and they're that yellow that these things you know used to be or still are in some places um and they see them and what they see is quote unquote yellow dragons and so these are like seen as evil things that are taking over their community at one point they encounter a group of like birds that are like gospel singers <laughs> because gospel one of one of the little baby birds has got stuck in mud and they think he's gonna sink and the kids use science to pop him out of the mud naturally um and then they the big thing is cornelius is also an inventor and he shows them this thing at the beginning that he calls a flapper wing a thing which is a very <laughs> da vinci-esque flying device and he shows them a model of it and one of the things that happens at the beginning of the film that you know the kids kind of run off and are saved from this gas is that they're they're playing with the flapper wing a thing model and they're messing around with it when they shouldn't be and they end up chasing it around the office and it ends up Uh, being crushed under a book Mm. and Cornelius is like heartbroken because he spent forever on this model and one of the things that happens is when the kids find this flower that Cornelius has sent them to find it's growing on the side of a cliff and they don't know how they're going to reach it and they Mm. actually build this flapper wingama thing (laughs) and then they get the they get the flower and then they fly the flapper wing of a thing home and it's this amazing beautiful cathartic story and then in the end you also see that there are uh people in hazmat suits trying to clean everything up edgar the little mole um there's a harrowing moment where he gets caught in a trap but it's one of those little ethical traps and then they see that it's um it's just you know poor little baby mole edgar who is lost like the thing about edgar too is because he's a mole and moles are blind he has these like thick coke bottle glasses yeah. and a little scarf that his mom made him and a little quintessential cartoon mole and he's they're so sweet um mm. but they they let him go and things and then you know the the whole thing too though at the at the end there is a message that like the actions you take do matter because there's a moment where all of the parents who have evacuated or some of the people who have fled are coming back to try to find their children or now that the the area is clean, they, they can come back into their homes. And Michelle, you know, looks at Uncle Cornelius and she goes, look, all of the mommies and daddies are coming back again. <laughs> and her parents don't. <laughs> no, no. And it's like the most heartbreaking thing. But it's that message of like, hey, what you do matters. Yeah. So, hey, treat the forest as your friend kind of thing. Um, also, super fun fact about this, Michelle, the little badgerling, um, quite famous now her voice uh she was voiced by elizabeth moss yeah. who most famously now is uh off in mm-hmm. the handmaid's tale um so i'm gonna that's my that's my little that plug for crazy. once upon a forest um if you were into stuff like fern gully and things like that 
definitely recommend that if you want to get into, you know, the mind of four-year-old Gina. That's a lot of what it's it was. It's so funny because <laughs> I've met so many people, like, in our, sort of, our generation that know of Once Upon a Forest, but can never remember the name of the movie. Yeah. Me, personally, I had the same issue. I literally went on a Google, like... <laughs> trap trying to find it because mm-hmm. i was just like i always i'll never from you know i'll always remember the song oh, you know God, but yeah. i only knew the tune i didn't know the lyrics mm-hmm. and then i'll never forget the the fling the flying the flapper wing of a thing yeah, the flapper wing of a thing and like okay so there's forest animals there's a flying machine there's a song and there's just <laughs> and I'm, I'm over pollution. here like jamming on that family feud button just like it's once upon a forest exactly and literally people were talking about it one time at this like i, I was at like a tattoo studio or something <laughs> And I was, like, sitting in the waiting room, and he was, like, talking about it, and he was just like, yeah, there's, like, this movie, right, with these, like, cartoon animals. And I was like, it's Once Upon a Forest! And yes. he's just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what it is. That's what it is. I was not, I had no qualms about it. But Once Upon a Forest, I think, is in a lot of our subconscious yeah. as something to be aware of. I think it's one that a lot of people saw, yeah. but it wasn't necessarily as memorable not as some of, all. like, the bigger Disney animations. No, stuff. because it wasn't Disney. It was done yeah. by this smaller entity that failed. I want to say it was Warner Brothers, but I no. could be wrong. It it might have been 20th century. It Fox was even too. even more independent than that. Actually. Was it because it was a straight to video? Yeah, it, it was. Released. Yeah, it wasn't it one that was, was produced in by a company called. Actually, no, it was produced by Hanna Barbera. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Which means it might have been distributed by Warner Brothers, and it was distributed by 20th Century Fox. Oh, by 20th Century Fox. Yeah. Nice. Okay. It was. It's a lot of fun. Um, Definitely recommend. And then apparently it was based on a book called A Furling Story by Ray Lambert, uh, which I had no idea of until I was looking it up. But it came out in 1993. So um, so when I was like three years old. The herbs. Remember the heist to get those herbs to save the Michelle's life? I think the the herbs. (laughs) Lungwort and Eyebright. Oh my God. That's so fantastical. I fucking love it. Yeah. The fact that it's just like, oh, Lungwort and Eyebright. It has to like open her breathing and then like make her eyes open. Um, The other one I'm going to plug very quickly because I noticed I kind of pontificated about Once Upon a Forest for a little while. Um, The other one is called Happily Ever After and it is a delightful like Snow White knockoff. Oh my god. Um, It's it's right. I'm going to say it's right up there with the Here Comes Peter Cottontail that I mentioned (laughs) in the Easter episode because unless you see it, it's really hard to believe it's a real movie. (laughs) (laughs) This is and you know, they they didn't want it confused with like the Disney Snow White because it was it was made through a different distributor and so the animation style is much different and it basically picks up on the idea that Snow White and the Prince have already met. We know the Snow White story. There's no more evil queen. We know what that's like. And Snow White and the Prince are planning their wedding and they want to go to find the seven dwarves because they want to invite the dwarves to their wedding. But they go to the dwarves cottage. The dwarves are all on vacation. (laughs) But who is house sitting for them but their cousins the seven dwarfels the <laughs> female equivalent of the seven dwarfs that all have different powers there's a blossom who makes flowers grow there's moonbeam there's um 
Sunny, who like makes the sun shine and she's all like sunburned. And then the little one who's like the dopey equivalent, her name is Thunderella and she makes like <laughs> lightning come out of her finger. And they're like you some know, RuPaul Drag Race, like it really cool is characters. Um, and it's it's so much fun and so ridiculous. And oh, Muddy <laughs> is one of the other ones where you know, Muddy Which has one is voiced by Carol Channing. Carol Channing, I think, is she is, Blossom? I th- I thought Carol Channing was muddy. Oh God, that's so great. Um, Carol Channing. I'm gonna pull that prime, up really quick, you guys. But that one is. Uh, a... Yeah, it was Tr- Carol Channing. Yeah, was she? Was she muddy? She was muddy. That Nailed was it. Great. Hell yeah. I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. <laughs> she is still kicking. She is like 98 years oh. old. Oh 97 yeah. 97 years old. And she's the still immortal, kicking. immortal. And like there, Carol there was Channing. some solid voice talent in this. Like Dom um, DeLuise. Dom y'all. DeLuise as the Magic Mirror. Uh, Ed Asner. Um, yeah. Tracy Ullman, Carol Channing, Phyllis Diller, Jaja Gabor. That's right. Um, oh, you're bringing me back. It's so good. Oh, Malcolm McDowell is oh. the voice of the villain. Who his name is Lord Malice, and he turns into a dragon. And it's and kind he's of, the queen's brother. I think he's so. yeah. He's supposed to be the queen's brother, and his whole thing is he turns into a dragon, and he has a very like pointed like mustachioed <laughs> villain face. Um, and his whole thing too is he has a cloak that can turn things to stone so when at one point they have to do a showdown with him they um they see all these gargoyles but they they realize that these are like creatures that he's turned to stone and they're all terrifying the whole thing like i mean i'm gonna say spoilers but like if you want to go see it i'm sure you'll figure it out but as a kid it's just like oh what a twist Hmm. um but it was definitely one of the more feminist it is like it's no surprise that you know current 27-year-old feminist Killjoy Gina grew up on that animated film where it's just like, oh, look at this. It's Snow White and the Seven Dwarf Elves. Female girl power going on the way to fight Lord Malice because... She has to rescue Prince. Along the way, yeah, along the way, they lose the Prince. Lord Mm. Malice finds him and turns him into, you know, basically kidnaps him and turns him into what kind of looks like a leper kind of beggar. He's all covered in bandages and, you know, he has he has something over his face. So when he tries to speak, it's kind of a mumble. And, you know, because he he's following them throughout the film and they're all afraid of him. They start calling him the shadow man because he kind of lurks in the in the shadows and things. And because, you know, he's quote unquote ugly now and, you know, he's just trying to make sure that they all stay safe but then later like Snow White looks into his eyes and recognizes that it's her prince and like turns him back and they're like married and stuff at the end and oh my god it's so good and then like to get help at one point they they go and they visit Mother Nature who is voiced by Phyllis Diller isn't that fucking fantastic let me tell you several years ago when Phyllis Diller died that was my first thought was like no Mother Nature (laughs) there's like a whole whole little song and dance that she does and you know she makes flowers grow and like she's a very like sassy kind of like bodacious Mother Nature too and it's (laughs) so much fun there's a great Mm. phyllis diller joke that she made when she was like in her 70s (laughs) and she says ladies you know you're old when you put lotion on and your skin does this (laughs) 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 oh my god that's awesome okay confession time yes (laughs) because gina i i can't help but just like commiserate with you about how 
like amazing these movies are, but also like heartbreaking. Um, I definitely had my first sex dream as a like preteen to set to the characters of Happily Ever After. Happily Ever After. Oh my god! Like Prince and Prince, yeah, and, and Snow White. Oh my god! Because of that scene where she sees him and looks him in the eye. I mean, oh my god! Did it rustle your jimmies? <laughs> it rustled my prepubescent jimmies like you wouldn't believe, and basically sent me into like a puberty before i was even ready for oh, it oh my god funny. because holy shit that was hot i'm i'm just <laughs> to be fair i'm just really happy roxy that of all of the pl like out of everyone in the world that i could have brought these films up with it's you actually have seen them oh i wore there's so many out. people that i mention happily ever after to, and they're like you're fucking insane <laughs> <laughs> this they is obviously not. something uh, that you're crazy. They just don't know. Buck wild, lady brain, <laughs> thought up, and you thought it was so no. feminist and so original, but no, they exist. Go because watch them. You know what, Gina? They're I delightful. Also watched it at my grandma's house, and it <laughs> was my summer vacation movie fodder that I spent many an hour distracting <laughs> my, myself. My with. opa uh, <laughs> mentioned that. Well, he mentioned Once Upon a Forest at Easter breakfast mm. this year, and I ran over to where I keep my DVDs, and, like, <laughs> he couldn't remember the name of it, and, like, you know, you said, I, I'm i over there just yelling, it's Once Upon a Forest, <laughs> and I slapped down this DVD. Giving the Jeopardy response. And my, my opa looked at it, and, like, I don't think he ever thought he would actually see a copy <laughs> of it again see that's what i'm saying he had like got rid of all the vhs those two are by far some of the most (laughs) underrated animated classics i just really wanted to see the pitch session because i'm pretty sure happily (laughs) after got pitched at disney i just i wanted to see like michael eisner just go no no and that's the thing (laughs) this one was distributed by an even lesser unknown production company than once upon a forest was okay happily ever after definitely was distributed by a company that went out of business real quick because they had a falling out with walt disney Oh. I remember there was some controversy around that. Too. Uh, it was a company called Filmation Associates. Oh, Filmation God. actually is was a big deal because they did a lot of TV shows. In you fact, know, they man. did the original Super Friends. Oh, nice. wow. Uh, stuff sick. and all of the DC shows. Okay, well so, then. Good in fact, shit. actually, yeah, so they, they were a big deal up until... Gina... Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for scenario- for those synopses of two very underrated but highly cherished films of our childhoods and yesteryears. Also, real quick, though, the Wikipedia says a video game adaptation was released in 1994. Get if out. anyone played the video game, please write in. <laughs> tell us how it was. Please tell me about this. And if anybody God. had sex dreams about it, no. <laughs> <laughs> If you I'd also be- had a, had uh, an awakening, as it were, from these films, then you all whacked it to um, Mother Nature. If you had, had no idea how to whack it, but you still wanted to, <laughs> tell us. Uh, We'd be happy to hear. If um, you watched this movie and then also, when you were putting your VHSs away, grabbed the VHS cover to The Little Mermaid <laughs> and finally saw new meaning in the cover, Brian, were you spying on me? And were aroused me? by that cover. Were you spying on me? Uh, also, oh, like God. if any other if anyone out there if any of our listeners also watched these as a kid 
please write in and I'll feel a little bit less crazy because sometimes when I bring up these movies it almost feels like a very like Mandela effect kind of thing where no one else has heard of them except like a very finite number of people Uh and like the the only reason I know they exist is because I have the DVDs in my home oh no I knew they existed I I remember them I just never saw them that's but I do I do I do remember going to because excuse me okay sorry I'll try to cut, cut around that. Um, I do remember going to the video store as a kid and seeing both those films either on loop on the TVs or in the kids section or just on the shelves. So nice. I know they existed. But then I was like, do you guys want to get that? And we're just like looking at the... And like mm, <laughs> you, you push no. it out of the way and grab Batman. <laughs> they were like, mm, no, no. I don't want this <laughs> wussy shit. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. What else? Like, Where's all the Disney shit? Oh. Um, <laughs> oh. I. I. Yeah. Okay. You're telling me. What did you? It, what did you see, Ryan? Oh my God. So my childhood. So I've got two, as well. Um, first one is. I'll go in the order of, of the of uh of when I saw them. Chronological. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you. Chronic. <laughs> Was there chronic involved? No. What Maybe about, for Sean. What about Blood Man? No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sorry. No. Solid well played. James well played. Bob throwback <laughs> reference. Um, no, no, no. The first one is kind of plays on, I think, when I was three or four, because I had a mouse Aww. attachment. Aww. You had a rabbit. And yes, yeah, so Mickey was part of that, but also a little guy named Fivel. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, I'm talking about an American tale. No. Um, I mean, Universal Don Bluth, I mean, Aww, rest in peace. master Disney animator who. Mimic the style, but told his own stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly, and it's you know what not, everyone knows this movie. So I it, actually don't. Gina doesn't. So that's <laughs> but <funny>. Gina <laughs> likes likes happily ever after. See? And those are the films that she watched. Everybody gets <laughs> one. Okay. Well, to be to be fair, I grew up and I saw the sequel. I saw an American Tale: Five Goes West, that, which was a much bigger film. It but was, I never actually saw marketed. the original. Yeah. No, you well, I never saw, saw America American Tale in theaters. I remember okay. seeing it on VHS. Because Brian, there are no cats in America, Aww. and the streets are paved with cheese. Well, so There's no cats in America. That, and I always remember your mind. Oh. I also remember that. I also remember the the song with Tiger. With that oh. we're a duo, a duo. And then, of course, the quintessential. Well, okay. So this song, Get hold on. Cry. It it does. So here's the thing. So I mean, in the late '80s, somewhere out there was it was a huge hit. Obviously, we talked about it when we talked about James Horner. Yeah. Uh, because he wrote the score to the movie and wrote that song. Um, for Linda Rostat and James Ingram to perform as their pop song, mm. but that one doesn't make me as sentimental. That, that makes makes me get the warm and fuzzies. But the one that makes me weep <laughs> openly, <laughs> openly, is when the kid who plays Fievel sings the song, and he sings it in his pitchy, you know, with his kid sister, voice with his sister, and and exactly, and you know, that's the song that if I think about it. You know, when he goes, somewhere out there beneath the pale moonlight. You're going to get me so emotional. Someone's thinking of me and loving me tonight. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? Between this episode and the last episode, I'm just impressed at how high your voice goes. Yeah, Brian, you're killing it. God, kill me with that. Oh. Um, Another Dom DeLuise feature, though. Yes. Who's yeah. kidding? That man voiced exactly. our childhood. I think we have an awful lot in common. Um, <laughs> no, he was great, though. Yeah. Uh, that He made the movie. And, of course, we need a Huawei. Yeah. A Huawei. Which is, of course, the voice of Madeline Kahn. Never say never again. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean... What do you need to know? They're, they're, what do you need to know? They're, they're European mice. They come to America. They, there's a cat who's hiding out as a mouse, and he's actually a cat. Um, they get separated. They get reunited. It's the journey to America. French pigeons at the end, flying into the French. Statue of Liberty. Yes. You will, my little American. Never say never yeah. again. Exactly. Um, Radigan. Wait, no, Radigan. That was so the great mouse detective. Sorry, yeah. wrong one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Same idea, though. There's this big mouse that takes him under his wing. I loved, I loved the great mouse detective, too. Oh, yeah. That doesn't get enough Now, well. interestingly enough, the guy who wrote the script <gasps> for American an American Tale uh, was a producer uh, writer named uh, David Kirshner, and he's still around live. He's done he's done all over. He also did the script for Hocus Pocus. Nice. Yes, um, but he did another movie from the mid nineties, which no one ever talks about anymore. I'm like, why not? Oh, Called man. the Page Master. Ah! I see you, Macaulay. Yes, Macaulay I love the Page Master. How you doing? Yeah. So the Page Master, for those who don't remember, was it was a live action. Uh, animation mashup. So there was two directors. There was an animation director and there was a live action director. The live action director was Joe Johnston of the guy who did Captain America. Oh! Uh, and he also did... Um, he's just known for doing period. He did The Rocketeer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did he did Jurassic World... Or Jurassic Park 3, but we won't talk about that. Um, <laughs> what is it with the third movies that always just fucks us up? Yeah. Spider-Man uh, 3. And then... Uh, like Jurassic World 3. Yeah, and then... Uh, guy named Jaws Maurice, 3. <laughs> yeah. And then a guy named Maurice Hunt did all the animation. Hmm. Uh, the animation style definitely borrows from the Disney Don Bluth look. I don't think Bluth actually had much to do with it, to no. be honest. It might have just been his, like, animation house, but yeah. he didn't really have anything to do with it. Um, so the premise is it's about this cowardly little boy named Richard Tyler who he's riding his bike home one day, and he's a walking statistics book of things that will kill you. And, <laughs> Richard um, Tyler. <laughs> yeah. And he, there's a huge rainstorm, and he runs into the library to seek shelter and sees this old guy who looks a lot like Christopher Lloyd. Because it is Christopher Lloyd. And, what a quinky dink. But no, there, there's a leak in the ceiling, and so he slips and falls and hits his head. And then he sees this wizard-looking thing. It basically looks like Dumbledore with a scroll for his staff. It's um, all the murals on the top that start Exactly. Melting. They start melting, Gina and then basically he gets absorbed into that world. Hence, we go Wizard of Oz style, where he becomes 2D. Except for that part. Like, it's, you know, it's the Wizard of Oz premise of a person goes to another world, meets people who are acting like people like because yeah. the, the the librarian is the page master anthropomorphized yes exactly and so they, he comes across he's in this world where he goes between different genres of books and he is guided his his own version of tin man and uh scarecrow and uh cowardly lion cowardly lion like literally they they, <sighs> they are all personified in different forms like Just fantasy which was done by voiced by Whoopi goldberg which mm-hmm. was brilliant Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that. Where, who like, are you? I'm fantasy. <laughs> I mean, sorry, I'm fantasy. Like, she her, her her eyelashes. I think my my other favorite bit in that is um, he like ruffles her skirt or something a little bit, and she gets up and she's just like, gotta fix my Little Mermaid underwear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she so they come across I love her, you, 
And then they come across Adventure, which is a pirate book, uh, who, of course, is voiced by none other than Patrick Stewart. Fuck Sir Patrick yeah. Stewart. Uh, this is quintessential 90s. But okay. hold on, guys. I didn't realize this until I just read this read up hold on this. On then they come across Horror, who is the Cowardly Lion character. Mm-hmm. And that was done by Frank Welker. Oh, shit. Frank Welker is Optimus Prime. But he's also like, he's Optimus Prime, but he's also like oh, wow. Fred from Scooby Doo. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. Oh, Fred was yeah. the guy. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's uh, a fantastic... I'm oh, sorry. He was Megatron. I'm sorry. He was not Optimus Prime, but he was Megatron in the original Transformers. That's and, of course, sick. did it again in the... Mm-hmm. Actually, no. He didn't do... Hugo Weaving did Megatron in the first Transformers movie. And I think he's been doing it ever since. But I think he actually does both. Anyway, oh, my God. That's the second Hugo Weaving reference in this episode. I know. I'm sorry. Did. That's fine. But this also <laughs> features the voice work of other great actors of television oh, and the yeah. stage because you have Leonard Nimoy as oh. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You have George Hearn, uh, a.k.a. Broadway's Sweeney Todd Ooh. as the voice of uh, <laughs> of Captain Ahab. And I love that <gasps> bit because when they're in the adventure bit and they come across it and they're in the water and he says, I grin at thee, thy grinning whale. <laughs> and then you see the books go, ah, he's possessed. <laughs> he's insane. <laughs> He's my kind of guy. (laughs) Yeah, it's great. It's classic. And uh, you also have the late Phil Hartman uh, doing some voices. But also, since we're talking about pirates, uh, we have Long John Silver featured for a brief moment, voiced Mm -hmm. by none other than Jim Cummings. Nice. And if you don't know who Jim Cummings is, Brian's favorite voice actor that nobody knows. (laughs) Jim, Jim Cummings is. He's Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, he's, he's Winnie the Pooh. He has such he's Darkwing Duck. Voice. He voiced basically all of the Disney Channel animated series characters, background characters. Uh, let me just run it, run it through. Know. So he was Ray the Firefly in yeah. Princess and the Frog. He was oh, Rammel. I know that. Uh, he was Darkwing Duck and Nega Duck and a couple of My name is Ray. Rammel. My name is Rammel. Ray Farshall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, he's Winnie the Pooh and Piglet and uh, Tigger yeah. as well. He's one of the gargoyles. He was. Wasn't he uh, also like the lead guard yeah. in Aladdin? Lead guard in Aladdin. Lead guard in Aladdin. He also that. is the current voice of Pete. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the Disney, like the main Mickey the, Mouse God, War. He, universe, his yeah. his discography or his filmography is huge. The, that range of voice from the very like gentle poo voice to the very mm. gruff Long John Silver and Pete kind of voice is incredible. Incredible. Yeah, Jim Cummings yeah. has incredible range, and I always forget his name, and Brian does the great job of always reminding us. Yeah. So um, J- Ryan is like the Jim Cummings, like, yeah. super fan. Uh, <laughs> I am his apostle. I, am his, <laughs> I, I, I spread his gospel. Um, you are his gospel. <laughs> um, from the gospel of Gospel according to Jim, to Jim Cummings. Right. Um, we should do an episode on Jim Cummings. Oh, yeah, like, oh, I mean, that would be great. so... Yeah. It, the, the plot is a very derivative plot, but it's fun. Yeah. It is so fun, and... Because of the voice talent, you just you have fun watching it because yeah. they're totally committed. So um, such a great allusions to classic literature. So too. Many. and right and what a what a great way to encourage reading because I remember totally. like oh, yeah. Scholastic put all the way behind this and like they put all the posters of Macaulay Culkin <laughs> as Richard Tyler. I forgot to mention Macaulay Culkin plays Richard Tyler the kid. Yeah. Um, you know, like they put them all in the schools and they have like the pictures of. I'm sorry, as I'm just gesticulating with my left hand. Because um, this is a visual podcast. Exactly. I want. I oh my god! I want posters of the. I like when I teach one day. I want posters of the page master in my classroom. Do I don't it. care that I'm teaching high school students. Somebody get me those. They'll know. They'll mm-hmm. know soon enough. <laughs> I want them to do a sequel. Yeah. Because wouldn't that be great? That. Like or, all or, grown up. <laughs> 
very like grizzled adult Macaulay Culkin, <laughs> <laughs> just completely jaded by life. Um, <laughs> but that just like introduced different genres too. Like mm-hmm. you have those guys, but then you also have like graphic novels. Like you have a, you have a character mm-hmm. who's graphic. Novels. I would I would love to see the very like emo like young adult lit. Uh, book. That's the graphic yeah. novel. That's like the yes. like the super hipster. I'm actually a graphic novel. People think I'm a comic book, but no, I'm literature too. You know, <laughs> that kind of I'm thing. I'm extended. Yeah, exactly. It's like dystopian lit, and the child like young adult dystopian lit. <laughs> oh, sci-fi could be interesting. Doing a sci-fi that would be fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Anyway, so those are my bits. Yay. And oh, such good choice. So Roxy, quickly... Roxy, bring us home. Okay, I'm going to bring you guys home. I'm going to bring you down memory lane to a fun little feature called Little Nemo Adventures in Slumberland. Oh, horrifying. And, oh, Brian, (laughs) do you remember? Do you recall? No. Okay. My parents wouldn't let me see it because they read news articles about how kids saw that movie and had nightmares after Well, I was one of those children because you go into Slumberland with Little Nemo. And and this explains so much. You are faced... (laughs) you very much so <laughs> you are faced with the prospect of little nemo who is this little boy um who basically ventures into this imaginary kingdom um and is faced with the uh, responsibility of saving the kingdom because he is the newfound heir to the throne and he has to defeat the fucking nightmare king and the nightmare king is this basically being of sorts who resembles Chernabog from Fantasia and his role in the nightmare in Slumberland is to basically destroy all happiness and all things that are positive and good Mm. and all little Nemo is basically armed with is this tiny little scepter and he has this enchantment that he can use against the Nightmare King. And this is all I remember singing as a kid, just going around yelling it at people. <laughs> all he goes around is he, he just points the scepter at the Nightmare King and goes, Pajama Jamma! Pajama Jamma! <laughs> <laughs> and I would just go around screaming it because it's the funniest shit. And that's all he does. That's all he just goes and yells at Pajama Jamma Jamma Jamma! And uh, he has his own little gaggle of, of, yeah, (laughs) fantasy uh, sidekicks of sorts. Um, Essentially, though, what's kind of this terrifying aspect of it is I don't, don't, I'm having a hard time remembering um, when, what what exactly it was for. This movie was released, by the way, because it was a joint Japanese-American film. Um, it, it was sort of a joint venture. It was released in Japan in 1989, but released in the U.S. in 1992. So I was like maybe, I don't know, four or five years old the first time I saw this one. But th- this was a kind of a, there was a wave of Japanese imports that happened in the early 90s. Like this was also yeah. my friend Totoro around that same Aww. time period, mm-hmm. even though a different studio from that because this wasn't a Ghibli film, right? No, 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 this was not a Ghibli film. If anything, the screenplay was written by Chris Columbus of okay. Harry oh, Potter. Wow. So actually, it was yeah, released. So it was made in America, mm-hmm. but it was released in Japanese in Japan yeah. first. So okay. it was co-directed uh, by Masami Hata and William Hertz. So it was literally an American director and a Japanese director. Interesting. Okay. Um, produced by a Japanese producer. Screenplay was by two American uh, writers. Um, the book it's based off of a book called Little, or actually uh, based off of an American cartoon called Little Nemo, hmm. um, that was first published in 1905. 
So it, oh, like so, oh, like a comic strip. Okay. Yeah, it's a, it's an original comic strip. Got it. Yeah, and it's a, it's a whole original story. Uh, it it basically starts out with this idea that Nemo falls asleep and you're in his dream, mm. and the only okay. way you can access Slumberland is through his dreams. But his dream becomes such a reality, and he has the ability to go in and out of his dreams. So the lines between reality and fantasy are extremely blurred. Oh, God, is it like Nightmare on Elm Street? Pretty much the cartoon version of Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh Because the Nightmare King becomes so uh, invasive in reality that it's almost like he could follow him into his reality and invade his real world and harm his family. Like, that's how terrified you become of the concept of the Nightmare King. Yeah, that is literally um, Freddy Krueger, basically. Minus the pretty claw much. This is terrifying. Pretty much. Um, and like there's it. this whole thing that happens where he basically unleashes the Nightmare King onto Slumberland. I feel bad out for the, of just for, pure innocence and ignorance. I feel so bad for the parent who's like, they show this to the kids, like, okay, bedtime. Yeah. Right afterwards, can't exactly. sleep. Clowns there is a love can't interest. Sleep. Clowns will me. Yeah, there is a love interest. Um, she's the princess of Slumberland, and he basically has to rescue her for all intensive purposes. Um, you know, at the same time. The whole point of the story is to is this basically neglected kid because you don't really see his parents featured very heavily, um, but you see him kind of taking control of his reality. Mm. And the setting of the film, I believe it was set in kind of the early 1900s, so it's kind of this like political sort of undertones of sure. a lot of it, you know. Um, but. Yeah, it's a big adventure film. It scared the shit out, out of me as a kid because there's this whole sequence when he's unleashing the Nightmare King that happens where this, like, giant liquid thing, like, basically it's the Nightmare King's, like, essence erupts out of the depths of the kingdom. So it's basically him kind of coming forth out of the depths of hell almost. Ew. And it's just this unrelenting force that comes out. And I remember having night terrors as a kid of this like unrelenting force coming out from underneath my bed, coming to take me and slam me and like basically drag me down with it. Gremlin style into like, you know, slumberland. Um, and it scared the shit out of me, the ever loving shit out of me. But the older I got, the more nostalgic I became for it. So little Nemo and his, uh, his unrelenting will to defeat the Nightmare King definitely entertained my childhood. But on top of that, I will bring us back even further to a fantasy film that I'm pretty sure we've all heard of. It was this little tidbit, um, called The Last Unicorn. Mm. Oh my god! I see. I remember, remember watching this movie once <laughs> in daycare after school. The last unicorn. I never actually saw. this You watched one. it in daycare. So yeah, I did because I, I remember it was about a unicorn who goes into. I mean, I, this is off of twenty five years of memory. So oh my god! Forget, but I do remember it's about a unicorn who kind of goes into the world of regular of just like the real world. She becomes a human again. Yeah, yeah. and when she becomes a or horse, just becomes a human. A horse, uh, when she gets presented, they don't see the horn. They just see her as, as a, a horse. horse. Excuse me, she's a unicorn. <laughs> but they had to put a fake horn on her. Like I remember, yeah. there's like a witch character who has to give them a fa- give her a fake horn yeah. so they can recognize. That so she's basically, a you have Mia Farrow, who is the voice oh, wow. of Lady Almathea, um, who is in fact the last unicorn of her species. Um, and she's put on a quest to discover more unicorns because they've all, you know, mysteriously disappeared. 
Um, and she's transformed into a human who basically learns the tales and tribulations of themes such as love and regret. And along her journey, she meets uh, a magician voiced by Alan Arkin. Oh my god. <laughs> the magician uh, Schmedrick. <laughs> if you can imagine Alan Arkin and all his wow, menschy glory talking like this. Oh, I don't know, you know. I mean, he's just oh pure. God. Pure yeah. Alan Arkin. Sounds like a yeah, that sounds like a stereotype. That's character. exactly how he is though. Yeah. I mean, he's could not be more of him of a pure mensch. You really love him. I mean, it almost uh, sounds kind of miracle maxi though. Very too. much so. I will give it that. This film was released in nineteen eighty two, so I would if it's a pre precursor to Princess Bride, I'm more than happy. <laughs> um, and then you have Jeff Bridges as uh. Uh, Prince Lear, who is the, you know, the knight in shining armor. Come to find out that he uh, is sort of under the control of this sort of evil um, character uh, known as King Haggard, uh, voiced by Christopher Lee. Oh. Yeah, dude. I know. So he's the ruler of the kingdom, and he wants to uh, control the unicorns. And he uh, basically... That what he did. What, this is a fun fact about Chris Lee in the making of this. Uh, apparently, when he came in to to do the performance, uh, he had his own copy of the original novel that the the last unicorn was based off of. Um, he took notes. It, basically, all the sort of rumors you hear about Chris Lee and his working, um, and how he like dedicates himself to certain characters. Uh, he basically took control of the script. And sort of ad-libbed a lot of the lines <laughs> and refused to deviate from the novel and basically kind of put his foot down and said, you know, we need to follow the script exactly and, you know, take the words from the novel exactly. Like, I don't care what you directors think. Um, he's also fluent in German, so he did the German dub oh, wow. for, this, for this movie. So I just thought that was so yeah. sweet that, like, Christopher Lee is, like, obviously one of the most well-renowned actors of his mm. generation. He's um, obviously, I mean, we, we've heard the stories from him. He's a was a very interesting guy. Yeah. He, had a, he was in the heavy metal band up into his 90s. So yeah. he becomes, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Amazing. He, he does, like, heavy metal. Um, he's obsessed with unicorns. So he be- he develops this, like, unhealthy obsession with Almathea and wants to, like, keep her for himself. And basically Prince Lear has to, like, rescue Almathea from King uh, uh, King Haggard and it's just this whole like oddly like sexual tension that happens mm. and you're just like feeling weird feelings about it. At first when you said he's obsessed with unicorns I thought you meant Christopher Lee was obsessed with unicorns. That's and what I thought too. I'm that like, was what? that was a really oh. fun oh, okay. mental <laughs> image of like yeah. Black metal, right. Christopher Lee, Sauron, Saruman. Yeah, Saruman. Well, I want to hear him like do a, like a metal song about unicorns. I, yeah. Oh God, I would right. love that. Okay. Oh yeah, and Angela Lansbury is also in this. Movie oh, Angela too. Lansbury. Yeah, love her. She's amazing. Um, all in all, I definitely watched this movie because of the visual sort of spectacle that was involved in it. The writing was really rigid, and it's a very very dated film too. So the animation quality is really limiting um but i will say this some there's like this whole sequence where that she's in the ocean um and the ocean waves actually morph into um horses 
Oh, wow. And it's this beautiful transformation of like horse waves. And it's just, I'll never forget as a kid, like watching that scene and seeing how they sort of incorporated it. There are some visually stunning moments in the movie, um, but it's no Disney. It's no Don Bluth. Mm -hmm. It's very rudimentary, very sort of inexpensively made. Um, but it kind of falls into the same sort of trap that I think Happily Ever After does in the sense that you have incredibly talented voice actors, but very limited sort of animation uh, mm -hmm. quality. And that, that that's just kind of what I believe throws these particular nostalgia movies into a category of their own, mm -hmm. where you have such amazing talent and, you know, opportunity here. But then there's one aspect of it, which I will kind of say it has a lot to do with the animation because there's nothing to say about the voice acting quality. The voice acting quality in all these films is just impeccable mm -hmm. um, and really I iconic in a lot of the ways. Um but, you know, as a huge fan of animation, I, I'm left kind of disappointed and, mm -hmm. and saddened that, like, a lot of these movies have just kind of fallen off into sort of infamy or not at all. Because um, we can't even remember the names of half of them yeah. half the time, you know? I think I think that, you know, because they are ones that we love so much, it's up to us to kind of promote them in yeah. this sort of medium or share them with our friends. I remember a couple years ago, we had a friend who hadn't seen The Page Master mm. and we had like a little sleepover get together so at my house with me and, and Roxy and our good friend Tanya, where we watched The Page Master <sighs> and it was a delight. It was um, just wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. you know, for whatever reason, these movies got released Many of them were released directly to video. Yeah, I think Pagemaster and American Tale might have been the only ones that got theatrical releases Probably from what we so, talked yeah. about. Mm -hmm. So you know, and I know there. I think there was even a third American Tale movie that did get a direct to video yeah. release. Probably. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Um, so you know, and it's sad, right? It's it is sad, sad, but at the same time, it's weird because in our youth you could go to a video store and you could actually tangibly like go to some place and yeah. see what was out and we do have that we have netflix we have amazon we have all the same channels for distribution just digital now mm -hmm. but i feel like we're less inclined to want to look at those kind of movies because we don't know about them like i'm saying yeah. thinking contemporarily like what is this generation's page master right that without, well, I mean, that that this generation's last unicorn. Mm -hmm. Like, are we gonna really watch it because it's not the same quality as Disney or Pixar no. or right. whatever we're doing? If anything, so. a lot of these movies are on YouTube, and yeah. I think that's kind of a it says it sort of speaks for itself. Yeah, and that's mm -hmm. that's the it's like the the someone out there is putting it up to preserve it, basically. Yeah, and that's yeah. kind of sad when you think about it. Sure. So I think about it and I get sad. Keep the spirit alive, Please listeners. Please do, keep everybody. The spirit alive. And in fact, keep the spirit alive by telling us what was your childhood favorite animation movie mm. yeah. that was not standard. Like, we, we get it. We all love the Disney movies. Mm. Like, we watch those. I watched those a lot as a kid. Yeah. But, like... What do you got? Like, what's yeah. what, what's the what's the obscure one that? Oh, do you remember Camelot? Quest for Camelot. Quest for Camelot. I do. That's I never saw it, but I do remember it. Yeah. Oh, that Say that one. was also like Swan Princess. And yeah. Stuff. Oh my gosh, that's so true. So there's just a few, but we'd love to hear more. <laughs> uh, so anyway, guys. Um, that being said, we all, we all again don't have a lot of feedback to share. So mm. what you can do to give us the feedback to share is go to nerdonomy.com and click on that talk to us link so that we can get an email to our inboxes that has that feedback in it. 
Uh, but while you're at nerdonomy.com, you can also, you know, support us by either giving us a donation to help keep the podcast running or buying a t-shirt if you like, or following us on our social media at Nerdonomy through Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just Google it, Nerdonomy, you'll find it, I promise. Uh, but the most important thing you can do is spread the word of nerd like a bird turd. <laughs> right. Tell your friends, family, uh, congressmen, uh, clergymen. Congressmen. Um, your wedding party. Your, wedding your child's party. school teacher. Um, <laughs> like all these people. Tell, tell them about the show um, and then reconsider your life choices if that gets your child in trouble. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, Please don't. <laughs> but... Just no, seriously. Like, tell uh, tell your friends. Like what you see on our social media. Mm-hmm. Retweet what you see on our social media. Like, do that, please. <laughs> do the Share. thing. Do the thing. Pay it forward. Um, I'm just glad you guys are back. I'm glad well, you never went anywhere, Gina, but no, I'm glad you're back, Roxy. Thank you, Brian. And I'm happy to be back. I'm hoping the next episode will have all four of us together <gasps> again. Yeah. Which will be the last time we record before I get married. Basically. Oh my god. So if you Head it, to the chapel and he's yeah. gonna get mad. It's getting closer, guys. Um, okay, so until we meet again, stay nerdy and tune into our next exciting episode. Same nerd time, same nerd channel. Nerdonomy.com. See ya. Bye. And roll credits. And now, famous movie quotes you should not say during sex. Well, we the secret weapon. <laughs> that's so funny. Uh, oh, shit, that's great. Oh, God. <laughs> Tainting all the childhood favorites. Tainted. Oh.